Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, showing you the way to becoming a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes feel like events, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into the episode. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 243. So I'm recording this on June 1st. So here we are, new month, and this will go live on the 5th of June, 2023. So you'll be listening to it then or thereafter. And I would love to know, are you the type of listener who catches my podcast episodes in the first week that they come out? Send me a DM and let me know. Uh, because I know for me as a listener, I have some podcasts that I absolutely love and I listen to them every week according to the launch schedule. So um, if a new episode drops every Monday, I listen on Monday. So I'd love to know if I have some devoted yoga teacher listeners out there who really enjoy the podcast So if and listen to it as soon as the new episode drops. So if that's you, send me a DM and let me know. I would love to know that. So let's see. For today, we have kind of a three-parter here. I'm going, I've been thinking about and mentioned it in past episodes, doing an episode where I talk about the benefits of yoga. And I've been toying with the best way to present this. Do I present it from the science and the data? Do I present it from the anecdotal things that teachers say, which I really would not do because a lot of that isn't true. <laughs> um, like I can remember when I was initially practicing, we used to hear that twisting poses detox the body and that's not true. So some of this stuff is said in an artistic way, in a spiritual way, in a way to motivate people to continue to attend yoga classes and I don't know. I feel like some of those things, it's not that they're harmful. It's just that they're not really truthful and it's sort of misleading. And so where I landed today, and the reason I landed on this approach is because I'm in the middle of, I'm just about done with the latest episode of the Gabby Reese podcast. If you've not connected with her, she's a great listen. Gabby is uh, the former U.S. volleyball player. I think she even played in the Olympics for the US. She's married to Laird Hamilton, a world-class surfer. And she has a podcast, The Gabby Reese Show. And she always has people on who are experts in movement, nutrition, and mindset, and neurology, and neuroscience. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful show. And I'm in the process of listening to the episode she released with Katie Bowman. And Katie is a movement expert. <clears throat> And in this episode, she and Katie are talking about different functional things 
that people need to have from a skill perspective. And in listening to their conversation, it got me thinking about from the perspective of the benefits of yoga, how can we as yoga teachers relay the benefits to our students in a way that we're sort of thinking beyond the poses or maybe highlighting certain things that we're doing in certain postures and the benefit of doing those certain movements. And this is where, you know, you're really challenged and I'm really challenging you to transcend the norm and to be different in an effort to not only stand out, but really in an effort to really be freaking helpful to your students. Because if we're, if we're kind of just going through the motions of teaching yoga, for many of our students, they're going to see that as a transaction. I come, I do yoga, I get the benefit, I leave, and then I wake up the next morning and I'm back to baseline. And so what we want to do, or what I want to do, you can, maybe this will resonate with you, maybe it won't. Um, what I want to do is help my students understand and more importantly, help the teachers that I train in my program understand how what they are sharing, if communicated and taught in a particular way, has the ability to transform people, their students from a movement perspective. And we know that when we help people transform from a movement perspective, it has a ripple effect on so much of their life their mental status, their cardiac status, their endocrine status, their blood pressure, well, that's cardiac, their mindset, their ability to relate to other people and how they do that, how they see themselves. There's so many things that happen when our movement practice is at a particular level where we're able to not only do it regularly, but continue throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our month, throughout our year, throughout our life with a movement-based lifestyle. That's what I personally strive for. That's what I train my teachers to highlight when they're working with people. And I don't mean my teachers, teachers that I work with in my program, teachers whom I have the honor to work with inside my program, who have uh, taken that step forward. I always am looking for opportunities to help yoga teachers highlight these benefits so that their students can move outside the paradigm of, I just took a yoga class to a different framework where they're really learning things that can improve their health for the long-term. And when we look at yoga practice through that lens, and it doesn't take a lot of tweaks to get it there. It's just a couple of framing tweaks more than anything else or sequencing tweaks. What we really start to do is have an impact on someone's health. And when we look at it through the lens of that, we can start to draw some, I don't want to say conclusions, but we can start to definitely draw some potential conclusions in terms of decreasing healthcare expenditures, decreasing the onset of disease, decreasing the onset, certainly of musculoskeletal problems, decreasing costs of things like physical therapy, the cost of lost time at work, the cost of not being able 
you know, to pick up your grandchild, go on vacation, get out of bed on time. You know, that's where we really start to see the benefit in a tangible way. And this is why when I talk to yoga teachers and they say they're going to charge $55 for a private, my head wants to explode because that is just devaluing what we do. And the last people who should be devaluing what we do is us. We should be valuing what we do. The problem though, is that our traditional teacher training system is not framing what we do in this way. And so teachers are coming out of teacher training like everybody else without without a framework, an outline, a blueprint so that they can highlight to their students, to people who might come to them for private sessions, all the amazing benefits of yoga in a way that's understandable. Not talking about yoga philosophy. The average person on the street isn't going to know what that is. So this is why I wanted to talk about this topic. Um, Before I get into that, I wanted to share two other quick topics. And they're sort of I'm coming in hot here because there are things that just have come up for me in conversations I've had with students, I'm sorry, with teachers. And so I wanted to just share them with you before I got into the bulk of the topic of today's episode, which is what I just shared. So the first one is I recently had a conversation with a yoga teacher and I have this conversation, not a lot, but not every once in a while. I have it frequently. And it's it's sort of a narrative. And but when I say narrative, I don't mean a good narrative. I mean, it's sort of a thing yoga teachers say. And someday I'm going to make a list and there's going to be like 500 things on that list of things yoga teachers say that really are just usually stuff that people say. It doesn't really mean anything. And if we really were to take the time to question well, what do you mean by that? The person saying it would quickly realize it doesn't really have a lot of meaning. There would be a much better way to describe that. And the thing that I'm talking about now is when I speak to a yoga teacher and we're having a conversation about growing as a teacher, transforming as a teacher, goals that you might have as a teacher. And what I hear back is the following. I want to expand my knowledge. Oh my God. I almost want to stab myself in the eye when I hear that. And, you know, I hope, well, it can land however it lands on you. I don't mean this in a picking on the person sort of way. I just want you to really appreciate like how sort of, I don't even know a Term I can use without making it sound mean-spirited. There's, if we think about, I want to expand my knowledge. So what does that even mean? Like we all want to expand our knowledge in life, right? And expansion isn't even probably the best term. Like I would rather somebody say, I really want to learn more about the hip or I really want to learn more about how I can teach people with physical disabilities, or, 
you know, that's even getting more specific. What I'm really getting to, though, is that when someone says to me, I want to expand my knowledge, that to me is kind of a passive thing. It really says to me that this is a person who doesn't really have any specific goals and might actually have some problems as a teacher that they're aware of or they're not aware of. However, they're not looking at themselves as a teacher through the lens of what's a problem I have that's holding me back from being the best teacher ever. And let me go out and get some knowledge about how to solve that. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got a teaching problem. You may be at a point right now where you love teaching, where everything's going great. And so I guess, great, you know, keep at it. I would say though that in so many cases, what I think is more the case is that number one, teachers are just sort of in this mindset because the industry again creates this mindset that hours and hours and hours of knowledge somehow translates to skill and quality teaching. That is not true. Um, And I think the other thing is many times we just sort of get lulled into this kind of mode where everything's going great and we sort of accept the limitations that we have and it's just easier to accept them than to do something about them. And so it's a sort of thing where if I were to have a conversation with that teacher and push that teacher a little bit, what I might find out is something like that teacher continues to get really nervous before they go into the studio. That teacher really wants to have some private sessions, but they don't have anybody approaching them after class for privates. That teacher is driving three to four hours a week to classes and they're only making $50 a class. That teacher is spending three to four hours a week creating sequences and they're changing their sequences all the time and they wish they could get that time back. Like those are just some examples of the shit that teachers just accept because the freaking narrative out there is quote, this is part of what you need to suck up and do. And it's just not true. It is just not true. None of the things that I just said are anything that you should accept as a teacher. And all that needs to happen is you just need to learn the correct skills to fix those problems. And those are problems. If you are spending three to four hours a week prepping for your class, if you are practicing with your class, the whole sequence, if you are repeating cues over and over again, if you can't answer student questions, if you're underpaid, undervalued, traveling to classes that are far away, those are all problems. You should not be accepting those problems. So I sort of don't want to be the one to burst your bubble and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer either. And I'm sort of not even wanting to be a realist. I'm wanting to kind of, if any of this is resonating with you, kind of show you that like I'm kind of raising my hand in a sea of people who all are sitting on their hands and I'm saying, hey, over here, it can be different and different can be better. And so this leads me to 
the other quick topic I wanted to bring up before we get into the benefits thing. And this has to do with ways that I think differently about teaching yoga. And I think you already can get a sense from this conversation we're having now that it is different. Like not a lot of yoga teachers talk like I'm teaching right now. And so I want to go into some of the other ways that I think differently about teaching yoga. And you can decide if any of these things resonate with you. If you hear any of these things and you're like, holy shit, I had no idea. (laughs) I didn't have to do that. Or I didn't have to believe that. Like, this is why I want to stand up on the top of the tallest Mount Everest mountaintop and scream this stuff. Because so many yoga teachers, when I get on the phone with them, they believe all this stuff. And it's like, no, this is not true. So here we go. Number one, you don't need years of experience to be a great teacher. You just need to learn key skills. Number two, there is no such thing as a safe yoga class. Risk is inherent in all movement practices. Once you learn anatomy and the right skills, the risk goes down and you appreciate it's still there. Number three, asking people for feedback is usually not helpful. Honestly, I was going to say always not helpful, but I scaled back. Um, Better to work on what you can control. Next one, learning great action cues can take you a long way in being an amazing teacher and will give you time to learn anatomy. What you want to avoid is sharing anatomy-based cues when you don't understand what you're saying. Next thing, you don't need to cue to the breath all the time. And by all the time, I mean more than five times. I don't know. Next thing, we don't ever know if our students are visual learners. And even if they say they are, all the more reason to stay off your mat and help them build their auditory learning skills. Next one, you'll have more energy, be more effective, and build more connection with your students if you practice less, if at all, and just walk around the room. And the next one, and the last one, if you're not working on your mindset and your limiting beliefs, it'll come out in how you show up as a teacher and even in the rates you charge and the rates you accept for your services. And this one is huge. I'm gonna read it again. If you're not working on your mindset and your self-limiting beliefs, it'll come out in how you show up as a teacher and even in the rates you charge and accept for your services. And this ties directly back to the next thing we're gonna talk about, benefits. If you don't believe or believe but can't articulate, can't say, can't explain in a see in the Starbucks line, two-second conversation, what the benefit is to somebody to work with you, you're not going to feel comfortable charging $125 to $150 an hour for your privates. And that's what you should be charging. I don't care where you live. Honestly, I think $200 is really what we should be charging for private sessions, for 60-minute private sessions. And people do do that. And so I would ask you right now, if someone were to ask you what your private session rate is, what would you say? Would you say 200? Would you say something less than that? Like, where? what would you say? And in fact, send me a DM and tell me what you'd say and we can talk about it. So those are 
those are ways that I think differently about teaching yoga. And I don't want to go into each one right now and give you the breakdown and give you my logic and give you my perspective because this episode's not about this. I wanted to share this though, because it's a, a hot take that I have because I just posted this on Instagram and I really want to get this out there because these are things that I share with teachers who are enrolled in my program and they literally are like, holy shit, I don't need to be cueing the breath all the time. I don't need to say inhale, lift the right leg, exhale, step forward. Now I have all this extra time to actually tell the person what I want them to do to share a benefit, to share some anatomy, to connect them to their body. So I said to myself, why am I keeping all of this inside my program? I should get this out there. And that's why I put it on Instagram. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. So here we are. Let's talk now about the main thing I wanted to share with you, which is ways that we can work functional movements into our classes and highlight them for our students. And some of these, I don't want to say some of these are going to be obvious. I don't think they're all going to be obvious. I think the challenge is going to be how can you work these into your classes and still keep the energetic ball going, meaning the flow going, and kind of step outside the lens of the poses as the main architecture of your sequence and also blend in these other things. So this is this is higher level teaching. This is not just going in and teaching a sequence. This is really going in as a movement pro and communicating the benefit as you're sharing it. So this may take a little bit of work. However, I'm here to help you if you're looking for help. So here are the ways, or here are the, um, the functional movements that I believe are helpful to integrate into our classes. Number one, getting up from lying on the back. As people get older, this is an ability that they lose. I want you to think about the oldest person you know, and if they're able to get up from lying on their back. I want you to think about older students you have in your classes. And when you get to the part of the class where they're doing backbends, how easy it is for your students to get up. So think of ways you can have people lay on their back and roll up to seated. You can have people lay on their back, move to sideline and press themselves up. That's a good work uh, for the triceps because as they press themselves up with their one arm, they'll be moving that uh, elbow into extension. Um, so there are definite ways to do it within the container of a sequence. I want to highlight this though, because if you're not looking at that movement as a skill, that's where I want to shift your perspective. These are all neurological coordination, musculoskeletal, muscular, and specifically, these are all skills for the body that the more we can highlight them, especially as people age, the more benefit we will bring to our students as we're teaching. All right, so that's number one, getting up from lying on the back. Next one is sideline. So there's definite things you could do. You could have people, you remember the old Jane Fonda exercising thing where she would do sideline leg lifts? That's a way to do it. 
Um, if you do any kind of like side plank, or I think it's called like gate pose where you're kind of on your side, it's those things are not technically sideline because you're propped up with your arm. But when you're propped up with your arm, that is another benefit. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. But anything sideline, even if you did the Jane Fonda leg lifts, that's still good because as you lift the leg in a sideline position, you're strengthening gluteus medius and gluteus minimus because those are uh, hip adductors or abductors. Okay, next one, walking backwards walking backwards. So anything we can do to get people moving in reverse is helpful from a biomechanics and neurological and proprioceptive standpoint. Um, this is a little bit different to integrate into our sequences. I think, you know, you'd literally have to have people at the top of the mat and then, you know, basically say to them, Hey, walk to the back of the mat and maybe then you could have them do a forward fold, walk their hands forward, and now they'll be in downward dog. So however you want to do it, but this is definitely another skill to get people uh, accustomed to doing. And think about, again, in life, there are going to be times people are going to need to walk backwards. And if they haven't done it in 35 years, that's a problem. That's how people break hips, break ankles, fall off curbs, fall getting out of their car, you name it. Uh, the next one is super obvious balancing on one leg. Obviously, we literally have balancing poses. So this is an easy one to integrate. The difference, though, is really, really highlight for people as they are balancing the benefits of that in day-to-day -day life. So this absolutely is the getting out of the car. This absolutely is the walking to the store. This absolutely is the running. This absolutely is the... It, you're in your kitchen and to get to that top shelf, you have to stand on one leg. This absolutely is putting on your shoe from a standing position. I want you to go home tonight and try to put your shoes on without sitting down. Also go buy Kelly Starrett's book, Built to Move. Kelly and his wife, Juliet, just released it. It's an amazing book. Uh, go to his Instagram page, The Ready State. This is one of the many skills he highlights in, they highlight in their book about movement and being able to put your shoes on from standing, tie your shoes and off you go is a skill. And if you doubt it, go to the person, the oldest person you know, and test them. See if they can put their shoes on without sitting down. Uh, so balancing on one leg. Next one, sitting with the toes tucked. So this is called toes pose. You've probably done this or taught it. So you have people in hero pose and then you have them tuck their toes and sit on their heels. I used to do this when I taught um, the varsity crew team at um, Northeastern and they would cry. These are grown men and they would in maybe 30 seconds be in tears. This is a sign of dexterity of the foot, the flexibility of the plantar fascia, the flexibility of the toes themselves, the ability to move the toes into um, extension, the strength of the big toe joints, uh, joint and the musculature of the toes, the feet have 26 bones, so the articulation of the bones, how healthy that is. 
this is a really important thing to do. This can be problematic for people who are in shoes all the time, who only are in bare feet at night or in yoga class. This can highlight if people have plantar fasciitis. I mean, there's so many reasons to do this. And as they're crying in pain, to start to talk to them about, hey, if this is really uncomfortable, you need to do this every day for like a minute or two. So that's another one. Uh, the next one is bear holds. So bear holds is you put people on their hands and knees, and then you have them lift their knees off the ground, maybe a smidgen, and draw the belly button in and create that abdominal lock. This is a really good core strengthener. It's also a way to create just integrated strength between the arms and the legs and the core. It's also an opportunity to move the scapula into abduction. I'm sorry, abduction, protraction, which gets to one of the other things I'm going to talk about, which is scapular movements are really, really important. So here in bear holds, you're rounding the upper back and you're getting that scapular abduction. And then additionally, you're creating that core lock. So that's core strength, a lot of benefits there. Next one is the one I'm talking about, moving the scapula through all scapular movements. So the scapula move in elevation, depression, adduction, abduction, upward and downward rotation. I wouldn't so much worry about the downward rotation, but I would have people lift their shoulder blades, drop their shoulder blades, squeeze their shoulder blades together, push their shoulder blades away from their spine, and then take their left hand under their right armpit, feel for the bottom tip of the scapula as they reach their arm up, which is shoulder flexion. Notice how the bottom tip of the scapula rotates laterally, that's upward rotation. So taking your students through those scapular movements. In exercise science, there's a term, scap cars, which is, I believe, scapular articulation. I forget, I forget the breakdown of the acronym, but it refers to moving the scapula in all of the different ways the scapula move, just like as I'm describing. We have a lot of poses where these movements are are baked in, like when we have people come into cat-cow, that's abduction and adduction of the scapula. When we do all our poses where the shoulders are in flexion, i.e. arms up in the air, scapula are in upward rotation. Um, when we, um, I just, oh, when we have people interlace the fingers behind the back, squeeze the shoulder blades together, that's again, scapular adduction. So we have poses where it's just baked into the posture. But this is what I mean about, do you want to be like everybody else or do you want to stand out and be more and have more of an impact on your students? When you do something like interlace the hands behind the back, highlight what is happening, highlight the benefit. Because again, the scapula are free floating bones on the back. They're not fixed like on a skeleton. And we want, just like with all our other joints, just like with all our other body parts, we want there to be this sort of fluid ability to move so that things don't get stuck in a particular position. And of course, what encourages that stuckness is posture. If we're constantly sitting, our scapula might be in a particular position for hours at a time, and that makes it harder for us to create mobility uh, in our scapula, which our scapula is part of our thoracic cage. Now we have problems with spine mobility, thoracic cage mobility, breathing problems, respiratory issues. So this is what I mean, my friend. I mean, there's a cascading effect from a benefit perspective to all the things we are teaching. And I believe it's our responsibility to call that stuff out to our students. 
Uh, next thing, weight bearing on the arm or the arms with the wrist and extension. So this is your side plank. This is your downward dog. This is your wheel pose, your crow pose, certainly your tripod headstand. Um, not so much classical headstand because then you're making that triad with the with the hands. But anything where the palms are flat and the wrists are in extension, this is really good to highlight because a lot of people can't comfortably get their wrists into extension. So we want to call it out. We want to give people an opportunity. I mean, certainly we're doing dozens of down dogs in a particular practice. So it's not so much that we're not offering them the, the opportunity. It's just that we need to call it out uh, and the benefits there. This also gets to another benefit, which is grip strength. Grip strength from a longevity perspective, believe it or not, not bicep strength or core strength, Grip strength is one of the things that actually decreases with age and is a sign of longevity. Um, there is actually a tool that physical therapists use to measure grip strength. And so this is something, you know, this is sort of the opposite of wrist extension when the palms are flipped up. This is making a fist. And we don't really have a pose for that. But there definitely are ways that you could integrate grip strength into a yoga practice. Like if you, you know, had somebody maybe in a straddle position and you were doing like a forward fold, a, a straddle stands forward fold. As they come up, you could have them grip the hands and sweep the arms up to the sky, then bring the arms down. You could have them pulse their hands through open, open hands, close hands, open hands, close. There's lots of different ways you can do it. The point is knowing what you want to do and sharing why you're having them do it. So that's, that's another one. The next one is spreading the toes, spreading the toes, toe dexterity. Can you spread the toes? You know, those toe spreaders, when you go get a pedicure, they put between your feet. A lot of times that's really uncomfortable for people. They sell toe spreaders. You know, this is like a thing already. Um, we have an advantage because in our quote unquote sport, our athletes are barefoot in our classes. You know, everybody that comes to yoga is an athlete of some kind, um, but not in every sport, right? Wrestling barefoot, swimming barefoot, but most of the other sports are people in shoes. And I can remember many, many years ago, I knew someone who taught the Chicago Bill, uh, Bulls when Michael Jordan was a player and Phil Jackson was the coach and he was very much into Eastern philosophy and Eastern medicine and practices. So he hired a yoga teacher to come to the bulls. And the only reason that all the players complied is because Michael Jordan agreed to participate. And this yoga teacher was telling me when we had a conversation one time about it, that the most mind blowing thing for the bulls was to be doing something in bare feet, something athletic because they were so used to being taped up in shoes. And so this is what I mean about the power of being in bare feet. And yes, of course, your students are gonna be in bare feet, but how much are you highlighting to them the benefits of that? And can you create opportunities, maybe when they're in a seated posture where they're just sitting, you know, staff pose with the legs out in front, flex and point the feet, spread the toes. Can you spread the toes? Reach down, grab your big toe, massage along the big toe line. Like all of the restorative postures at the end, when they're in half pigeon, have them grab the foot of the bent leg and massage it and take the, there's lots of creative and fun ways that you can integrate this kind of 
uh, focus into your classes. All right, going through the last couple, backbending from standing. Backbending is so important because it brings our spine into extension. The erector spinae then is then are engaged in terms of as a muscle group. People don't do enough spinal extension because they're always in flexion, hunched over their desk. Now, of course, we're doing our belly back bends and our bridges and wheels, but from a functional day-to-day -day perspective, nobody is jumping out of their office chair and throwing down a couple of Urdhva Dhanurasanas in the office, right? So what we really want to do as well in our classes is have people do some standing back bends. So have them stand and reach their arms up in the air, lift the gaze up and back. There's lots of places where you can integrate that sort of standing back bend movement into your sequence and tell them the reason why I'm having you do this is because, and go into it, because people won't know it unless you tell them. And also a standing back bend is definitely not something people get a lot of in their day-to-day -day life. It's not like you go into the kitchen and to get stuff on the top shelf of your cabinet, you turn around with your back to the cabinet, reach up and back bend your way into getting that thing on the top shelf. So there aren't many functional ways in our day that we do a standing back bend, but yet those muscles tend to be overstretched because we're hunching all the time. So I think you get it. All right, the next one, moving the thoracic spine. This is a part of the body that's designed for protection. It's protecting the heart and the lungs. We have a lot of, you know, kind of out of the womb stiffness in this part of the body, but we want to have some flexibility there to sort of counteract the stiffness that, the stiffness that is just um, baked into to the structure. So in any of your twisting movements, really encouraging your students to not move their head move through the thoracic spine first and then turn the head last, if at all. There's so many different places you can cue to this, whether it's camel pose or your uh, chair twist or your crescent lunge twist or twisting triangle, any twisting posture. Have people keep the gaze at the floor, come into the twist, have them put their hands on their ribs, palpate along the ribs themselves. Really, really uh, great thing to highlight. Uh, we're almost done here. Last three. Next one, huge, squatting. Squatting is triple flexion, hip flexion, knee flexion, uh, ankle flexion. Very difficult for people to do when they have tight gastrocnemius, when they have limited dorsiflexion in their ankles. This is another thing in uh, Kelly Starrett and Juliette Starrett's book, Build to Move, uh, part of their test, right? We, we talked about the putting your shoes on without sitting down. Squatting is another one. Dynamic squatting can be part of how you teach it. You could have people come into goddess pose, kind of bounce up and down. You could have them, of course, come to a squat seated on a block, any of those variations. So have at it, squatting. The next one, crawling. Oh my God. So we don't crawl past whenever. I don't know. what When, when do kids start walking? 18 months or so? It is a neurological skill. So as much as when you have your, as much as we can get some crawling in, there are actually some styles of, of yoga. I can't remember. I think it's called like animal flow where people are doing, I know in the exercise science world, in the fitness world, there's, they're called kick throughs, really cool things to integrate into your teaching. Um, in the animal flow, there's actually some poses that mimic animals that literally have crawling. If you're looking for something standard, when you have people in tabletop, 
have them crawl to the front of the mat, have them crawl to the back of the mat, do that a couple of times. That's a way to fit that in. Again, neurological still, skill, coordination skill, um, just good for the mind-body, brain-body connection. And then the last one, neck extension. This sort of gets to the spinal extensor um, piece we were talking about. And this is to counteract all the hunching we do because we're looking down at our phones a lot. So a good way to integrate neck extension, of course, we get it in our up dog, we get it in our locust, we get it in our dancer's pose. Again, though, what I want you to do is highlight to your students this part of the pose and the benefits to it. Like, why are you bringing it up? And, you know, this is where you need to know about the anatomy behind it. So I'm not suggesting you go into an anatomy-based cue if you don't understand what I'm talking about here. You'll be better off not going into the anatomy-based logic and simply sharing the movement from an action cue perspective. That is like 60% of it, 70% of it. And then the rest of it is the explaining, is the answering questions. That's where the other benefit comes from. Um, however, doing it without getting yourself down a rabbit hole of anatomy explanation that you can't really explain well, that you don't really know, it's better to just share it. So all of these things, as you're learning your anatomy, you can share all these things and you can share the benefits. It's just, you'll have to decide how much you can get into it if you're not super sure about the anatomy. So those are all the things. So the real question I have for you as we wrap this up is how can you add these things into your classes and think beyond the poses to help your students move better in their life? So that's that's the challenge that I leave you with. Now you have this list. You can go back and listen to this episode again and write them down and use this as a cheat sheet of things that you can blend into every single class you teach from this time forward, uh, pick one or two and highlight it in your sequence um, for that particular week. So I wanna just wrap up this episode. I'm of course recording this on June 1st. I've got three spots open for June. I could probably do five new teachers in my program. So if you're out there and you want to be more confident as a yoga teacher, you wanna have better skills in the area of cueing and building your sequences. You don't wanna spend hours every week prepping for your classes. You want to do the walk and talk rather than practice with your class all the time. You wanna truly understand anatomy and all those things I talked about earlier in the episode, the ways that I think differently. If those hit home for you, if you're sort of tired of just hearing the same narrative over and over again, or maybe some of those things that you're doing that people, quote, told you to do, feel like a drag, feel like they're holding you back from really loving teaching. If you want to make more money as a yoga teacher, if you want to earn your worth, you are a perfect candidate for my program. I do offer a certification layer to this program. So for teachers who really engage with the program, I mentor you closely so that you can come out of the program with a certification. However, if that's not an intensity level that you want, you can do this program completely on your own time in either situation and you'll still get amazing results. I just offer that certification level as something that you can go for if you want. And it just involves 
taking a couple of more short quizzes and a couple of tests and doing some teaching demos with me so that I can really stand behind and validate that you learned from the program. I can tell you I've been offering this program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program for years. Teachers are having amazing results. I just got an email from someone who enrolled last month and she said, Karen, I can't even tell you how easy it is to go through the training videos and how I'm loving the whole program in general. So it's really what I call the momentum magic method. That is the method I use when I train teachers inside my program. They experience momentum and the magical feeling that comes from it. And the method I use is a method that I have tweaked over the years that definitely gets you results in the area of coming out of the program with more confidence and more skills around cueing and sequencing and understanding anatomy. So if you'd like to apply to the program, send me a DM on Instagram with the word application and I'll send it to you and we can get on the phone and I can find out more about you and see if I can help you and if you're a good fit for my program. So thank you so much for listening and I hope to chat with you again on the next episode. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And the fact that you're still here and still listening is not lost on me. So thank you so much. Couple of things. If you have any questions, please contact me. Send me what your questions are directly to my Instagram DM. You can find me there at Bare Bones Yoga. The next thing I hear so much from yoga teachers that they want to be confident. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to have that nervous feeling in their stomach when they get up to teach. They don't want to stumble over their words. They want to create sequences fast and not spend so much time writing out their sequences and practicing their sequences. And they so much want to just walk around the room rather than being tied to the mat and practicing the entire sequence with their class. If any of this hits home for you and you want to develop into a more confident, authentic teacher in the next 30 days, I want you to DM me, confident teacher, heard it on the podcast, and I will show you exactly how you can get there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.